Morning Church, we are going to be in the Gospel of John again this morning, looking at chapter 5, verses 16 through 47. I'm going to be reading from the Message Version, so if you want to grab your Bibles out uh, to follow along with the reading, please do. But before we jump in, what I want to do is set the scene, because the scene we're about to enter into actually started at the beginning of chapter 5, which we heard about last week, where Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's, uh, he goes to the Pool of Bethesda, and he heals a man who's been lame uh, for 38 years. And what he does when he heals him, he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And so the man does. He gets up, picks up his mat, and walks, and he, uh, he's walking through town. And some religious elites and Jewish rabbis stop him and say, what are you doing? You can't carry your mat. It's the Sabbath. That's considered work. And he says, well, the guy who healed me told me, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And so they find out that it's Jesus and they confront Jesus and they say, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That's work. It's the Sabbath. You just can't do that. And so what we're actually about to enter into is essentially a Jesus is, Jesus is giving his defensive testimony for why he was working on the Sabbath. And some scholars believe that this was kind of like an informal trial, that Jesus was having to give a defensive argument for the reason he was working. Um, and... And we see that in the fact that he actually talks through his witnesses and why his witnesses that testify to who he is and confirm who he is are valid. So that's what we're going to see. Uh, like I said, it's verses 40, uh, sorry, 16 through 47. It's a long discourse. Jesus clearly liked to talk. So let's jump in and hear what he had to say. That is why the Jews were out to get Jesus because he did this kind of thing on the Sabbath. But Jesus defended himself. My father is working straight through even on the Sabbath. So am I. That really set them off. The Jews were now not only out to expose him, they were out to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, putting himself on a level with God. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing, only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him on everything that he's doing. But you haven't seen the half of it yet. For in the same way that the father raises the dead and creates life, so does the son. The son gives life to anyone he chooses. Neither he nor the father shut anyone out. The father handed all authority to judge over to the son so that the son will be honoured equally with the father. Anyone who dishonours the son dishonours the father, for it is the father's decision to put the son in the place of honour. It's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Anyone who hears what I am saying right now and aligns himself with the father, who has in fact put me in charge, has at this very moment the real lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. It's urgent that you get this right. The time has arrived, I mean right now, when dead men and women will hear the voice of the Son of God and hearing will come alive. Just as the Father has life in himself, he has conferred on the Son life in himself, 
and he has given him the authority, simply because he is the Son of Man, to decide and carry out matters of judgment. So don't act all surprised, the time is coming when everyone dead and buried will hear his voice. Those who have lived the right way will walk into resurrection life, and those who have lived the wrong way into resurrection judgment. I can't do a solitary thing on my own. I listen, then I decide. You can trust my decision because I'm not out to get my own way, only to carry out orders. If I was simply speaking on my own account, it would be an empty, self-serving witness. But an independent witness confirms me, the most reliable witness of all. Furthermore, all who all sorry, furthermore, you all saw and heard John, and he gave expert and reliable testimony about them, didn't he? But my purpose is not to get your vote and not to appeal to mere human testimony. I'm speaking to you this way so that you will be saved. John was a torch, blazing and bright, and you were glad enough to dance for an hour or so with bright light. But the witness that really concerns me far exceeds John's witness. It's the work my father gave me to complete. These very tasks, as I go about completing them, confirm that the father, in fact, sent me. The father who sent me confirmed me. And you missed it. You never heard his voice. You never saw his appearance. There is nothing left in your memory of his message because you do not take his message seriously. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. This, these scriptures are about me, and here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. I'm not interested in crowd approval, and do you know why? Because I know you and your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your working. I came with the authority of my father and you either dismiss or avoid me. If another came acting self-important, you would welcome him with open hearts. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with one another, ranking your rivals and ignoring God? But don't think I'm going to accuse you before my father. Moses, in whom you put so much stock, is your accuser. If you believed, really believed what Moses said, you would believe me. He wrote of me. If you won't take seriously what he wrote, how can I expect you to take seriously what I speak? So here we have this defensive argument from Jesus about why he's working on the Sabbath. And I think it's really helpful for us to have a little bit of context um, because here we see the very beginning, Jesus is saying the son can't independently do a thing, only what he sees his father doing. And a number of scholars believe that this, Jesus was actually using the language of agency. An agent in, ancient, in the ancient Jewish world was a person who was sent and authorised to speak and act on the behalf of another person. They were sent to do a specific set of tasks and they were empowered to speak and act to make sure those tasks were completed. And so anything 
they said or did was done on, on the behalf of the sender. And so in a and then in a family situation, a father could send his eldest son, um, and the son would be authorized to undertake a mission on behalf of the father. So this is kind of what Jesus. This it seems to be what Jesus is talking about. What's more about the um, the legal relationship of agency was when the agent arrived to the person or persons that they were being sent to. The way the agent was received was judged to be the way the sender was being received. So if the agent went and the person received them positively, then it was judged that they were receiving the sender positively. If the agent went and they were received negatively, then it was judged that they were that the people, the persons, the people that were receiving them were judging the sender negatively. So it's a little bit of context there, but it seems like Jesus is using the language of agency. He is saying that he is the son, the unique and special son of the father, and he's been sent on a mission to earth on behalf of God to bring God's life and light to humankind. And so what he's saying is, I'm working on the Sabbath, because that's what I see my father doing. I've been sent to do, uh, to to for a mission to achieve a particular task. I'm doing exactly what I see my father doing. Um, and so this is kind. Of, this is what Jesus is saying, which I think is really helpful for us um, to consider that concept of agency. And let's let's just be honest. This is a really powerful declaration from God from Jesus. He is saying that he is the unique and special son of God sent to earth to bring light and life to humankind. But he also goes on to explain that his words require a response from all who hear. And we know John has made it very clear that he's written down these words for those who read. So it wasn't just about the people who were hearing Jesus' speech 2,000 years ago. It's about us right now as we hear the words. We have to respond. We have to respond. And Jesus is saying you can either respond positively or negatively. If you respond positively to his words, you will receive lasting life and you will no longer be condemned to judgment. But if you receive him negatively, then you will be um, you will be condemned to judgment. So it's it's as we think about that for us, as we think about this idea of the positive and negative responses that Jesus is very much calling all who hear these words to, we have to ask ourselves which is our response. Let's be honest, we all want we all want to be the positive responder, right? We all want to hear his words and respond positively, believe them, align ourselves with the Father, and be saved. But, there's a but, but adopting the spiritual life is not just about saying, I believe, and then going on our merry way. To do so would be like clipping an appendix to our lives and saying, 
oh, and by the way, I believed in Jesus, so I aligned myself with him and I'm all good. I'm walking into resurrection life. Jesus, to, to fully respond to Jesus' words, actually requires uh, an entire reorientation of our lives. It requires a complete reformation of our living and thinking. So for you and I, if we want to take our faith seriously, if we want to seriously respond positively to the words and work of Jesus, then we must truthfully consider the ways in which we still respond negatively. How do we still respond negatively to the words and work of Jesus? How do we still actually align ourselves with the religious elite who were more concerned with Jesus working on the Sabbath than they were concerned with partnering with what Jesus was doing to bring freedom and healing and liberation to that man's life? How how are we doing that in our own lives? Because the reality is, church, we do. We, we do. We, 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 we still respond negatively. And it can look like a whole variety of ways. But ultimately, when we choose to not believe and go our own ways, we're choosing ourselves. We're choosing our ego. We're choosing our false identities that we might not even be aware of. But we've, we've um, built our lives around our own successes and achievements, the need to seek affection and the pleasing opinions of others. It could be our political views. It could be our possessiveness of creature comforts. It could be our internal biases towards and against particular people groups. But every time we choose those things, we choose negatively to respond. We choose a negative response to Jesus rather than a positive one. And what that ultimately does is it hinders us from the ability to choose the way of Christ, which is a way of self-surrender and love. And then we can go on and do what um, what the religious elite were doing by judging another person, not looking at the fruit of what their life is producing, um, the, the, the fruit that looks like God. But we, we say, well, they, they're not living the way the scripture says that we should be living or they're not living a Christ-like way or, they're, they're, or we get more concerned about um, doctrinal correctness than we do about what's actually being produced and how the kingdom is being expanded through the life and work of Christ within someone. So then what we're actually doing is we're dismissing or avoiding the work of Christ rather than entering into it and partnering with it in in the world and in our own lives. You know, I find it amazing where Jesus says, um, he says, You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. The scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. 
I believe that this is prophetically true for our Christian culture today. We, church, we are given the opportunity to experience the most beautiful intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yet so often we actually let our thoughts about God or our intellectual study of God or our obsession over doctrinal correctness, it actually helps us avoid entering into intimacy with God, entering into the life that Jesus is saying we can receive. So we, 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 we do this. We aren't willing to receive the life from me that you say you want because we, we let the scriptures get in the way. Um, but here's the thing. If we enter into intimacy with Christ, that Jesus showed us was possible when he was here on earth, this is what the scripture reveals will be the result. Romans um, chapter 8, verses 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And what about John chapter 14, verse 12? The person who trusts me will not only do what I am doing, but even greater things. Because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I have been doing. And what about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2? Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly what God, does, what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. He was not cautious but extravagant. He did not love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Do you hear what these scriptures are saying, church? Do you see it? We are called to be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if we're called to be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, then we're called to be agents of God's life and light in the world, to bring life and light to humankind. We are called to continue on the work that Jesus was doing. Um, and so if we pursue a, if we pursue the intimacy that Christ shows us is possible, then we won't do a solitary thing on our own. We will be able to, like Jesus, discern what needs to be done and partner with God in, in what he's doing. But what that means, what that means is that we have to root out the ways in which we negatively respond to the words and work of Jesus. We must surrender and detach from our own egos, our own ambitions, our, our devotion to the things of this world so that we can attach to God alone, so that we can fully live into the call to be agents of God's life and light to humankind. Many of you are joining with um, the Explorate Spiritual Direct Spiritual Practices, Practices Exploration Group, <laughs> and we've been doing a variety of spiritual practices over the last few months. And this month's practice is detachment. 
detachment, according to Adele Alberg Calhoun, the desire behind it is the desire to nurture the spirit of trust that is attached to God alone. And David Benner explains that the practice of detachment involves loosening our grasp on the physical, psychological and spiritual things that reinforce our own fundamental orientation towards possessiveness, that reinforce our own egos, our own false identities. It's not that these physical, psychological and spiritual things aren't good in and of themselves, but when they actually become hindrances to us being completely open to the work of God and partnering with it and being free to partner with it, that is the problem. Um, Look, detachment is a rigorous practice. It's not easy, but it lies at the core of Christian spirituality. If we want to follow Jesus and seek to make the heart and mind of Christ our own, then we have to engage with the practice of detachment. And when we look at the life of Jesus, that's what we see. His whole earthly life was one of detachment. He was so detached from his human ambitions and his normal human ego needs that it gave him complete freedom to be open to the will of the Father in all things. And it was this same detachment that enabled him to be free to discern for himself what the Father was doing and to then imitate it. It gave him the freedom to live with extravagant self emptying love. And so if we if we as followers of Christ are going to respond positively to Christ's agency in the world, then we too must follow in Jesus' footsteps and practice detachment. Let's see this is what the point of spiritual practices are about. They are to form us, they are to help us grow in in spiritual maturity so that we can be free, completely free from all our illusions and um, false identities that hinder us from giving ourselves wholly and completely to God and participating in his work and word, work and words in the world. Um, and look, church, here's the thing. I truly believe that the teachings of Jesus the way of Jesus, the relationship that, that Jesus had with the Father and the life that we see from this Gospel of John, what we see of Jesus' life, I believe that it, that's possible for us too. What else could the Apostle Peter have meant when he wrote in his letter, um, this is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4, to 4, he writes, his divine, his divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very real promises so that you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. We are given the opportunity to participate in the divine nature of Christ. 
And I believe that we see the reality of this in people like Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, and Heidi Baker, to name a few. There are plenty of others. But my point is this is possible. We see this kind of Christ-like living in these people. And these people are no more special or called than you and I. But what they have been willing to do is enter into the hard work of detachment, detaching and rooting out all those things that would cause them to respond negatively to the words and work of Christ so that ultimately they are free to respond positively and give their whole lives to participating in the kingdom of God. Church, we too can participate in the divine nature of Christ and we too can be powerful agents of his life and light to humankind. But if we're going to do so, we have to face on, face head on, both personally and as a community, the ways in which we continue to respond negatively to the words and work of Christ in the world, how we continue to respond negatively to the kingdom of God to, and the ways we dismiss it or avoid it because it doesn't look like we think it should look. We have to root out all those things that's, that hinder us from having complete freedom to enter into the fullness of God, of, of the divine nature that God is inviting us into. And church, I, I just want to encourage you, I believe that when we do, I believe that when we do, when we root out all those things, we will enter into ever-increasing freedom to respond positively to Jesus. We will, we will move into ever-increasing freedom to follow in his footsteps and to love like Christ in the world and to be beautiful agents of his life and light to humankind. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bring this, these, these words from Jesus before you and we bring before you our hearts. We long to be a people, a community, both, and, and, and personally individuals who, who are free, free to respond to you positively, free to give our lives in ways that glorify you and tell the world around us of the light and light that you offer. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you lead us into the work of detachment? Would you lead us into the work of letting go so that we are free to love like you love? So that we are free to receive your love so that we can give it out. Lord, we offer ourselves to you through Christ our Lord.